Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. We're back. Meredith is here. Hi, Meredith. Hi. It's so good for you to be back in the country. <laughs> I here, Here's what happened, everybody. And this is also like a travel tip. If you've never traveled internationally, maybe you're planning your first trip. Uh, surprise, your phone doesn't work. And I knew that going in because obviously uh, my provider is Verizon and uh, not not an ad. They would never, ever, ever pay for an ad on my show. Um, <laughs> but Verizon doesn't exist in Australia. So I was like, okay, that's going to be an issue. Number one, the, the company, the entity does not exist. So what I would have needed to do is trade out my SIM card for a Verizon affiliate in Australia. And I was there for 10 days, which here's the thing about 10 days. It's not fast, but it's not long. Right. So it, I was in this gray area where I'm like, it's not really worth it for me to get a new SIM card. Now, here's what I forgot, Meredith. Um, I use my phone for literally everything. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of addicted to it. Like, well, not only addicted on it. to it, but like when you're a tourist in a foreign country, you need it. Like you need the map to get around. Yeah. Yeah. So what I ended, I felt like a pioneer woman. I was so unnaturally proud of myself and everyone I told this to could not have given a shit about it. <laughs> what I ended up having to do was I was staying with my friend, Will, who, man, shout out to Will. He's a fucking saint. Uh, housed me for 10 days, was a goddamn stellar host. It was so fun. Uh, what I would have to do is log on to his internet in his home and then screenshot the map depending on where I was going. So then, but even then it's like Google map helps orient you. Like, you know what direction to walk in. So I was like, I guess I just have to figure this out like on the fly. And I fucking did. And I was like, I am like, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Oh I am <laughs> a pioneer. They should build statues to me. I'm an elder millennial who survived 10 days without my fucking phone. That's a miracle. I Here's a question for you, though. You don't have, like, you can't just turn on international data? So here's the deal. I I did do that. But for Verizon, it's called their travel plan. I can't believe I'm getting into the minutiae of Verizon's <laughs> I'm, I'm so right sorry. Now. I just like no, don't no, understand okay. this. <laughs> so all the travel plan does is not charge me an insane amount for when I do connect to wireless and I use the internet. So that I was paying $10 a day for that. If I wanted to use like cell phone tower technology i had to switch out my sim card that's it's insane. insane to me it's insane what usually people do is they get a burner phone so like every comedian who does like the festival circuit they either switch out the sim card or they get a burner phone right right for like a month right but i'm not there for a month i was like baby i don't need that and then i got there and i was like i absolutely need that because you're like oh no i <laughs> i made a terrible miscalculation I mean, it, it is like I know it's sort of cliche to say we're addicted to our phones, but my phone did not work for 10 days and I would constantly pick it up to look at it. And one of the Australians would be like looking at your brick and I'd be like, all right, OK, back off, everybody. I know it's a brick. I know it's useless. I know I'm looking at it for no fucking reason right now, but it is just such like a tick, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get this. It's just sort of like I I guess the last time well, yeah, my phone worked in oh no, I mean I used WhatsApp. So yeah, never mind. Don't think about me. Because I also these are questions I have and I've just never run into quite that problem. Yeah, when but. I could connect to the internet. I was fine. Other than the insane time difference between Australia and you guys, I felt so disoriented this all the time. Um, although I was finally on the same schedule as Charles because Charles and I have opposite <laughs> schedules when I'm here, but in Australia we match up perfectly. So it's the most I've talked to Charles in like six months. Um, yeah. It was incredibly disorienting for me. The number of times I had something I wanted to tell you or share with you. And I then know. I realized that you were, it was the middle of the night for you and I couldn't do it. I hated it. I'm I know. very glad you're back. Me too. It made me, I, it was awful. <laughs> I also had to like stop myself from spamming you like I usually do. Cause I'm like, it is like three o'clock in the morning. She's dead asleep right now. Um, so I, I mean, that is say, why I put on do not disturb. So you could have, oh, and yeah. it would have been hilarious. <laughs> the number one way to cope with having me as a friend is do not disturb, but like turn that baby on immediately and we'll get along fine. Um, so thank you to Will. I wanted to thank Chris as well. They were both like my little Australian tour guides and it was so fun because Chris was wa- working the, um, Melbourne comedy festival. So he had all of like the hot tea about which acts I should go see. And it was very fun. And yeah, it went super fast. That thing happened where I was there just long enough in Yarraville where, which is a, a town by Melbourne. Uh, I got cozy enough where I'm like, you know, you can envision yourself living there. And also maybe you're Jack Nicholson in The Shining and you've always lived there. Um, yeah. Well, and, and then you did meet a version of yourself. I did. So, so there, yeah. <laughs> there's a little shop in Yarraville called Village Idiom. And the owner, I hate to break it to everyone, is me from the future. There's a time loop in Yarraville. I found it. And me from the future saw me from the past. And we had a good old chat. And she was like, how do you like it here? And I was like, I feel like I've always lived here. And with like the wisest twinkle in her eye, she said, yeah, that'll happen. And I'm like, are you me? Just tell me if you're me. Like, I know that goes against like time travel rules or whatever the fuck. But I'm like, you have to. It's like if you're a cop, you have to tell me if you are me from the future. You have to let me know now. This is an important rule that more people should consider. If you're Thank somebody you. from the future, like, find a way to tell them. It, we have to change this rule. That's all there is to it. Maybe a wink, like a knowing wink, but like, let me know, because I'm pretty sure that was me. Yeah. So, but I wasn't in Yarraville long enough to get, like, bored or realize everyone's racist. And, like, so I, I, I like, missed that part. So now I'm just like, I miss it. You know, like, I was just in New Orleans long enough to be like... I could totally see myself living here. Now, here's the issue. New Orleans and Australia, they drink so much that I'm like, I would live here a week and it would be like the funnest week ever. And then I would die. So, <laughs> it's absolutely true, though. It's it true. absolutely is true. So it is a pull in case of emergency option. But I was like, man, I'd have the best time. Ultimately, I would die. But what a week, right? Like just constant parties, eating shellfish. I'm like profoundly allergic to, um, smoking everything, like literally everything and, uh, ultimately dying. Yeah. Yeah. Although to be fair, since it's Australia, 
even if you had been doing things by the rules, there would have been some sort of spider, scorpion, snake, yeah, so true. angry trash, angry bin chicken, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because the birds have gotten quite aggressive there. <laughs> that is a really good point. And I have to say, I didn't have any, like Will also is so tidy and his apartment's so clean. I didn't see like a single bug, but that definitely would have altered my feelings about everything. If I encountered an authentic Australian bug, because like we got big roaches in New York, but Australia is like next level. Yeah. I think, I think you're just remind yourself the next time you think I need to go to Australia, things are not working out here. I'm going to throw my lot in with the criminals and degenerates. I've already done that that here though. I know, but if you needed another location like this, like home, New York City does not have as many poisonous things. When we were in New Orleans, we, uh, uh, my friends and I determined what my vibe is. And my vibe about like where I've determined I could live is always, did a pirate ever live here? And if the answer is yes, that's my vibe. So New Orleans, did a pirate ever live here? Yes, that's my vibe. Anywhere in Australia. Did a pirate ever live here? Yes. Yeah. That's my vibe. Um, But ultimately, I am a city mouse. So whenever anybody's like, yeah, but you wouldn't do well with like Australia's like creepy crawly critters. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to live in the fucking bush. I'm either going to live in Sydney or Melbourne. You know, like, let's be real. It's like I'm either going to live in New York or L.A. I'm not living anywhere else because I wouldn't fit in anywhere else. All of this can be true. I just think you're underestimating how many bugs there are. That is true. I, I completely uh, concede that point. And also, you, you have to live... I was going to say you have to live somewhere more than 10 days, but I, I've like been in Australia up to a month before. And I'm like, yeah, this vibe is sick. I like this. Look, guys, yeah. I'm just saying the fascists are taking over in the United States, and I'm keeping my options open. Okay? I really appreciate that you've been doing the research yeah. into uh, requirements for, uh, you know, moving someplace. So I'm glad that I'm going to I'm going to be benefiting from that. And I just I really do like it. I told Meredith like three o'clock in the morning, me Googling how get citizenship Sweden. Easy question mark. Um, <laughs> just reading the news in the United States. I'm like, what's the country with the best social safety net? so that I don't die when I get older. That's just kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, I mean, that is true. And I, I think of these sorts of things often. And it's just, it's really hard to get that citizenship. It is. It's not as hard as you think, but we can talk about that later. Um, guys, yeah. what I mainly wanted to ask you, Meredith, is how are you coping in your life post blue check mark? on Twitter? I, you know, it hasn't, I'm surviving. It's been an adjustment mm-hmm. slash has, I have suffered through it. I see some very, very strange promoted tweets now. I I have to really tip the hat to Elon because literally overnight, he changed. I mean, like, let's let's just admit that the blue check mark system was always stupid, right? Like, it was of always it was a dumb, I... imperfect system, right? But yeah. it held social cachet. You know, like people wanted it. 
it was like an elite status symbol that was very stupid. It was always stupid. It never meant that like your opinions were more valid or insightful or anything like that. But no, it meant that it really truly meant that somebody on the social media team at whatever place you were working, got everybody their blue checks and or like for someone like me <laughs> or for someone like me because you know the nation held no sway getting check marks for anybody uh for me it was just a security thing because there were puppet accounts of yeah. me so they used to like care about security and puppet accounts and stuff like that so that's why they verified me um but overnight that symbol of elite status is now a joke like to the point where i am blocking anyone with a blue check mark because it's always somebody with like 200 followers who fucking cannot lick elon's boots enough you know and i'm like i don't want to follow this person so i'm just like blocking blue it it's just so wild to me that something so elite was like trashed instantly by this guy and not in like a cool counterculture way like in a oh my god you just like destroyed this overnight Dude, like, it worked so fast it is fun to block people so fun and i'm having the best time doing it don't get me wrong yeah i mean it it this was not something that ended up really affecting me that much because i just you know i had it since i had been a member of the media but it is just garbage and i want to stop being addicted to the stupid site because I Me can't too. I just can't get it I can't get enough of still looking at it and then I see a promoted tweet for some AI sim game about spouse swapping that's illustrated with like weird manga not and only like, that that's cool okay nice good job guys block 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 yeah but like the robots are even getting sneakier now where say there's a tweet about Margot Robbie or somebody like a big celebrity they'll reply to the tweet oh my god I love Margot hard 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 hey guys check out this site and it's for bitcoin or something yeah yeah it's so bad it's so bad like the site is unusable now but as you said before Meredith I do find it very freeing because I would always joke like can I pay you to take away my blue check mark cuz having a blue check mark was hell on Twitter because anytime you had a tweet go like mildly viral the algorithm always prioritized you so i suddenly was hearing from like every flyover state you know and i'm like i don't want to talk to y'all we got very little in common sorry sorry it's true um and i don't want you spamming my feed so then the question became so why are you on this site you know like that's what this site is for so like if it's annoying you just get off it and then it's like you can't for work blah 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 but anyway, I I have found that my, because the algorithm is like, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, you're suppressing me. But I have heard from people who are like, I don't see your tweets anymore. And I'm like, that's fine because my mentions are very quiet. <laughs> and I'm not hearing from like a bunch of, you know, uh, bald eagle avatars anymore. Yeah. And it's nice not to get people coming in and tell, calling me stupid or telling me to kill myself. Yeah. I have found some hilarious uh, messages in my hidden the message request file, which is pretty funny. Shit, I always forget that's a thing. Oh, I know. And some of them are like very confusing. 
but uh it's you know there was one that asked me if i would uh that was what is it kick him in the balls and <laughs> uh that was pretty funny <laughs> i mean yeah not for free i'd do it if you paid me yeah exactly and i was like i don't know man but of course i did not respond and i really should have because it was funny <laughs> so funny um so I know you wanted to talk about, before we get to recommendations, Jerry Springer died, everybody. Yeah, former mayor of Cincinnati and host of the wildly influential and deeply troubling television show. Uh, mostly I wanted to talk about it because it's been, his death has meant people have been posting their favorite clips of chaos on the show. And for all of the things that I remembered about the disaster of uh, and like the exploitation and how ugly it was. There were a lot of shows where people came on and punched Nazis. Like yeah. a lot. Yeah. And sometimes they had shows where like people called in to the show after seeing someone who sucked to be like, I want to beat this person up. And then they brought that guy on the show. Just like, like, it's like a follow-up to be like, we brought, we brought Derek back and the Nazi comes out and it's just like a line to hit him in the face. Basically. Yeah. There was a dude who's like, Oh, this dude hates his grandbaby because he's like part Mexican or something. And the guy comes out shouting white power and the dude just walks up and <laughs> clocks him. I do remember that. I mean, my God, speaking of elder millennial memories, but like Anytime you were home sick from school or like pretended you were sick so you could stay home from school, it was like Jerry Springer, um, Jenny Jones, and uh, Lori. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, Family Feud was huge for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I was telling you because you texted me last night that you wanted to talk about Jerry dying, where I'm like, Honestly, the first thing I always think of whenever anybody mentions Jerry Springer or Oprah is I have these early memories of them trying to do like important episodes about like HIV and like, you know, honestly, that's my main memory of Jerry, like trying to do important episodes about the AIDS crisis and immediately his people being like, we're getting smashed in the ratings. We can't do this anymore. And both of them pivoting to, in Jerry's case, you know, like poor white people or poor people in general fighting on stage and Oprah pivoting to like woo woo nonsense, Dr. Oz shit. Yeah. And I mean, the Oprah nonsense, like that was always really rough because like between Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, like, ugh. And she would always, like, pepper in important guests, which is, I I think, why she had so much longevity. You know, like, in addition to being, like, brilliant at what she does, um, she still occasionally would do important episodes. So people would be like, see, Oprah has, like, important value to our culture. And then bring out Dr. Oz again, and it would just be like, you know, this snake oil salesman. Yeah. Um, And I, I actually, I'm really curious if, listeners have specific memories of of these things. I think there's something so, or, or what ended up being like how these trash talk shows played in to other people's lives. Cause yeah, some people never watched them. Some people like did the thing that you were talking about, staying homesick, getting into the trash daytime television. Uh, And 
you know, it, now that social, like I've saw people tweeting about Jerry Springer saying I was like with clips of them when they were kids, you know, like this yeah. was me as a teenager. Like they didn't even pay me the full fee they promised me, but I was a pregnant 17 year old homeless kid. So like, oh my God. I went on yeah. and the whole thing was like, it was really sad. Uh, and I, it's, you know, the legacy is so upsetting because there were all these people that were treated horribly and treated like spectacles. And then also Jerry Springer telling somebody who was trying to do Holocaust denial to like shut his face. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, I, if you listen to Jerry Springer's like intentions for what he wanted the show to be, it is sort of tragic because for me, like the, the Jerry Springer show was like um, so emblematic. So much of, ultimately went wrong <laughs> with the country where it's like, first of all, you have the latchkey kids watching TV. Like that was our babysitter. Right. Then you have like just the commercialism and the capitalism of, Hey, this really important topic that um, has value in our society isn't getting ratings. So we have to scrap that and just have poor people fight for entertainment and like insert commercials in between to sell people products like the sort of dystopian nightmare of that. And it's just like, man, that really was not that the country was amazing before that, but it, it does feel like a pivotal moment in our culture. <laughs> yeah. And and then it's like, OK, given how terrible things are now and how things are being banned, like, do we have to take like, do we have to grapple with the fact that there were moments of representation, even if they were exploitative, because people were able to go and like, say on television, like, this is me. This is who I am. I am unafraid of your judgment. Um, and I, I still think we could say it's bad, but yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot just because we, some of the turn to nicer daytime television means that even like there's not, there's no trash and, or the trash is on the internet. Uh, and then everybody else is kind of pretending that things are okay. Yeah. I, although uh, watching Jerry Springer, I was never like, wow, what a positive representation of this marginalized group. I've never. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Like there was no moment, but I'm like, in retrospect, do I have to, you know, I'm very much questioning, like, yeah. do I have to hand it to them? Like a little bit? Like, <laughs> I think the answer is still no, but right. I also think like, I got exposed to plenty of stuff when it wasn't an episode where two people were fighting over the same idiot man, or they had kids who dressed in black trying to explain that, no, they're not going to go out and do a Columbine. Listen, we can all agree that we were exposed to way too much, way too young. Um, yeah, absolutely. As, as children, because our parents didn't understand the internet and we were getting up to all kinds of shit. And uh, there were no child protections on anything. So pretty cool time, guys. Pretty cool time yeah. to grow up. Um, so let's get into the recommendations. Meredith has not had an opportunity to see Bo is Afraid yet. And a lot of people haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to give any spoilers. I just sort of wanted to, and I know, Meredith, you wanted to talk about, like, the cultural impact of the film. <laughs> So far, even though you have not seen it because it caused such a commotion, 
when it premiered. Uh, deliberately so. We'll get to that in a second. Because I, I do think Ari Aster is being a little shitster with this film, you know. And I'll just say I had a very strange experience watching it where I, it's very long and it feels stupid saying that because it's an odyssey and calling an odyssey long is like, yeah, dumbass. That's what an odyssey is. <laughs> There's no short odyssey, right? So it's like three hours. It feels very long. I think again, deliberately because you're supposed to like be going through this with Bo, you know, so you're supposed to feel very drained by the end of it. And you do. And I was telling Meredith, I had this very strange experience watching it where I legitimately think the beginning is funny, like hilarious, such a clever <laughs> exploration of what it feels like to live with anxiety in a way that made me pretty anxious because it's effective, you know? And yeah. then we get into the Odyssey bit of it and it goes on and on and on. And there are amazing cameos from people like, you know... um, Oh my God, should I pull up the cast maybe? But like Nathan Lane, you know, there's like these amazing cameos throughout. Uh, Patty Lapone's in it. She's fucking incredible. Um, but I fell asleep at one point and then I woke up and something happens in the film. I'm not going to say what because that is a spoiler. And I was crying. So like there's not many films I can review where I say I laughed I fell asleep I woke up and it was so emotionally impactful I cried so like yeah, you, that's that truly is everything it's everything so I felt so exhausted by the end of it so mentally exhausted that I was like god this is kind of an incredible feat like I really do feel like I lived a lifetime with this character and for that reason I am recommending Bo is Afraid with the big old caveat that some reviewers who I really, really respect hated it. And I think that divisiveness is deliberate. I think Ari swung really, really, really hard in this one. And I respect him for doing that. And I respect A24 for allowing filmmakers to do that. I do wish more non-white male cis directors got that same opportunity, but I can't like ding Ari for that, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm so glad there are still filmmakers swinging hard like this you know <laughs> yeah and I, I think it's been interesting because obviously one of the things that sucks about Elon's Twitter is that you get fed all this random crap but it has meant that I've seen a lot of really young like kids age sort of people's talking about Ari Aster and really like appreciating him mm -hmm. and saying explicitly I think I'll probably hate this but I'm yeah. still excited and here's the thing. If you hate it, that's valid. Like, no one has the right to tell you that you're wrong for hating this film. But I don't think anybody's going to watch Bo is Afraid and feel nothing. I think they're going to feel something intense in either direction. And to me, that's the definition of art. Yeah. Well, and, and especially at a moment where so much conversation comes around these, you know, every time a comic book movie comes out, every time there's a Marvel thing, there's some, you know, a critic will say this movie isn't good. Like it's not engaging. The special effects are annoying, et cetera, et cetera. And people go nuts. There's like critics don't do anything. They're all useless. We hate them. Like they should, you know, death threats, et cetera, like on and on. So 
there's it's some it's like refreshing to see people getting hyped for something that they recognize could get like could turn them off completely. I think that that's just something that we haven't had as a part of the conversation a lot. Like something is good or not, something is successful or not. But okay, I'm excited to go see this very weird three hour movie that I have no idea what to expect and I I might hate it. I just, I dig that a lot. Like actually accepting it instead of thinking, instead of like claiming it later as a cult classic, I think is is fun to see. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry. And I, I say this as someone who, and I say this as a caveat every single time in case this is anyone's first episode and they think I'm anti-Marvel. I have seen every Marvel film. I'll probably <laughs> continue to see them. Marvel has broken our fucking brains. I'm sorry. If you say Dune is boring, you're broken. You're broken. Your little mind is broken. It's been broken by fucking Marvel where you expect like a little quip every 10 seconds. And it's like, please, I'm begging you for your own brain's development's sake to see other films. Because I I know for a fact that's why I struggled with Bo is Afraid. Because <laughs> it's just a different structure than you're used to seeing, you know? Um, there was just that article that came out about, uh, what what's that Chris Evans and Ana de Armas film? That Ghosted. Did? Okay, yeah. Ghosted, the creator. And I'm sorry, I don't know the director's name. But he was saying the original cut of Ghosted, he had an uninterrupted, like, three minute long action scene and Netflix sent sent him a note that said if something interesting doesn't happen in like the first 10 seconds people will turn it off change this and he changed it and he said I don't want people to turn off my film so I listened to the note and it's like we're conditioning people to be fucking stupid when they watch media and that's why I'm so thankful for whether you like Bo is Afraid or not, <laughs> you know, like the fact that Ari Aster was like, I'm going to really challenge people. I'm going to really push the limits here. And am I going to turn off a lot of people? Yep. But I want to do something that is different. And to yeah. me, that's really exciting. Right. And I, I think like, here's another thing that has really fascinated me about this movie about Bo was afraid coming out, people going to see it, having it having like a place in discourse right now. Um, there's so often a narrative around these big, long, sprawling films from auteur types where we know there was a troubled production before it comes out. I'm thinking like Southland Tales, right? Under the Silver Lake, yes. Um, these movies that people do appreciate, but took time to find supporters. Yeah. There's always these stories about things like the director having problems, not being able to, you know, things not going under, you know, going over budget, all this stuff. Like this seems like Ari Aster knew he was making a giant sprawling thing and had control over it. I mean, I, I can recognize that a 24 as a distributor has a very powerful machine. So maybe there were things that happened, but it's really interesting and cool to see this come out without the extra baggage. No, that's a really good point, actually. And you're right. We always have to say, like, caveat, caveat, caveat. Stuff might come out that we've just not heard about. But in terms of what I know right now, I've never heard about Ari 
abusing his actors or anybody on set because like he's your tour and he needs to like really push. I've never heard anything like that about him. And yet he's putting out challenging art that really pushes the boundaries, which goes to show you, you don't have to be a fucking asshole and treat people like shit to make great art. Yeah. You can just be a weird dude, New Mexican Jewish dude in his late thirties. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like be open to, to different filmmakers and, you know, really, really indulge in films from all over the world and like really know your craft and then break the mold. That's what's really important. It's like, it's only if you've seen a lot that you can like break the mold, you know? So it's like, that's another, he's just a student of film and it makes me sad when like, oh, I don't want to say this because he's so young or I won't use him as an example, but like you see 16 year olds on Twitter say like, my favorite film is Captain America, uh, Captain America, First Avenger and Civil War. And, and it's like, oh my God, just you need to see more films that are not superhero films that are not Marvel, you know, like. If you, I mean, if you want to get into film, maybe you don't care about film and you're just like, I want to watch films to be entertained and I don't care about like French New Wave and shit like that. That's totally fine. I'm not being like elitist, but I'm saying if you're going to enter the world of film criticism <laughs> and like have an opinion about something like Bo is Afraid, like, I don't know, educate yourself. You know, like if a two and a half hour Odyssey or three hour Odyssey film bores you and like you can't pay attention there might be a reason is what I'm saying yeah and once again the world is making us stupider everything I fell asleep I fell asleep my brain is fucking broken I have to recondition myself literally yesterday Meredith I was like I gotta read again I stopped reading I was like I got on a schedule where I was reading and again this is how bad my ADHD is um I I'm like, just read 30 minutes. Don't look at your phone. Read for 30 minutes. And that was like hard for me. (laughs) I'm being like vulnerable right now, guys. Like I set a timer on my phone and I'm like, you have to just read for 30 minutes. And I got to a point where I was doing it every day. And then my schedule changed because I flew to fucking Australia and I just stopped doing it. So now I have to get back on that schedule. But like when I say like we're broken, I'm putting myself in that category. I don't think I'm better than anyone. I think my attention span is shit in a scary way <laughs> because of the internet and how like we process information these days and how the algorithm caters to us and it has completely warped our perception of reality and our attention spans and I think we need to work on that. Yeah, although I really like that you are doing something intentional. I think that it's okay that you have to set a timer for yourself to try and force yourself into it. Like making a habit. I mean, think about when you don't want to work out or times when you needed to force yourself to go to the gym or get out and do a walk. Like you have to, there's effort involved, a lot of effort into creating habits. You know who I am, Meredith? You know who I am? I'm the cow that gets out of the van on the way to the slaughterhouse and I'm running down the highway 
and you're a supportive cow looking at me and you're like, good for you. And I'm still going to go to the slaughterhouse. That's the thing. But I'm in a You're panic. still running straight I'm to the avatar. And I'm running down the highway and I'm aware of what's happening. And I'm like, oh my God, we're all about to die. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> They're going to get me back on that van. I'm going to be on the news for 10 seconds, an aerial shot of me running down the highway. And everybody's going to be like, that's sad. Should we not eat meat? No, let's still eat meat. And that'll be it. That'll be it. Oh, you poor thing. Can I say something that I'm very proud of that is, uh, it is not related to, it's related to life stuff. I convinced, uh, my partner sort of just to stop eating pork and beef. That's awesome. And not even through like a big dogmatic thing. I just have been like, since we've been together for the past year have not like, I don't eat pork. I don't eat brats or, or or beef of any kind. It's really just like I'll eat chicken and turkey. Like, so I'm not fully vegetarian, but Mm -hmm. I've like just through coming up with suggestions and cooking us things when it's my turn, he just decided, you know what? I think I feel really bad about the idea of eating cows and pigs and I'm going to stop. That's and great. I was like, that's incredible. It's huge. (laughs) My favorite statistic that I always like to pull out is if you eat, um, I think it's just chicken, one day less a week, it's the equivalent of taking, or no, I think it was if Americans stopped eating chicken one day less a week, it's the equivalent of taking half a million cars off the road. So it makes, a, even if you cut down a little bit, it makes a big difference. Um, oh my God, we won't get into this, but I, I'm on like a very... <laughs> Rosie, um, a very high, (laughs) she's like, what are you talking about? We absolutely need to eat meat. Um, I'm on like a very high protein, like powder diet right now. And I do not feel good, baby. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to have to work on that. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Um, but Hey everybody. Um, Meredith, do you have anything you want to recommend before I just keep going? Um, Sorry, Rosie's. Hey. Rosie, stop it. Somebody knocked on the door. Uh, Rosie, come here. Uh, I, you know what? I actually, have I have I done the work of recommending people watch Tales from the Crypt Demon Night recently? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think I would remember that. Okay. So there are two things that have happened to bring this up. One, I saw a copy of the soundtrack. Uh, on record store day in the very weird uh, punk slash metal slash video game store that's down the street from me. And I almost bought it because that movie rules. I also became obsessed with a Tales from the Crypt uh, pinball machine that I found at a local barcade. So I've been thinking about this a lot. It is Rosie. Shush. Uh, And that movie is just awesome. Jada Pinkett. uh, Billy Zane is so hot. Uh, mm-hmm. the cast is totally stacked with, uh, amazing actors that you've seen in a million things. It's funny. It's weird and gory, but like in a cartoonish way. Tales it from just- the Crypt sort of had the law and order thing where it's like so many of our best actors started on Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> I know these tiny roles. Yeah. Uh, but it's, if you're interested in a silly, like, monster like creepy you know a horror movie that has a bit of a 
has a bit of an Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness vibe, but also is like pretty creepy. Definitely check it out. I think it's on a lot of streaming services and it deserves to get more love. I love that recommendation. That was one of my like, obviously this helps explain why I, I was such a weird little kid, but Tales from the Crypt was one of my favorite shows. In the pantheon of credits, we do not skip. It's Tales from the Crypt, Succession, and Vanderpump Rules. I think. Absolutely. We don't, they're absolute bangers. Oh, and White Lotus season two. You don't mm-hmm. skip those credits. Absolute banger. You get up and dance. Um, when I was a kid, you could not have told me that the Crypt Keeper was not the height of comedy. I would have been like, you're absolutely wrong. He's the funniest motherfucker alive. I would have said motherfucker as a child because I was kind of a badass like that. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was so funny. I loved his like punny humor and I love that show so much because it was like just scary enough where it felt dangerous, but it wasn't scary, you know? Yeah, because they had a funny cartoon character. It was... And he'd always he at the end be a- like, whoa, that was crazy shit, right? And I would be like, that was crazy shit, Crypt Keeper. I know. I do think, like, even though I am not naturally funny, I would never want to be a comedy writer. I think that being in the writer's room for the Crypt Keeper is probably the greatest job that has ever existed. I bet it was great for, like, <laughs> older male comedians because they all had dad humor and the Crypt Keeper did have dad humor. So much dad humor. So funny. Um, Yeah, it's a silly one. It's once again pulling from the archives, but you just never know. And we all deserve to giggle a little bit. Let's like get some more Crypt Keeper in our life. So speaking of because I brought up Succession, um, do you want to talk about like speaking of cultural impact, where society is at with that show? (laughs) Oh, yes, please. Oh, my God. So we missed talking about two huge episodes. And by the way, spoiler alert for the entire series succession. Uh, But this season, if you've managed to avoid spoilers so far, congratulations. Um, But skip ahead because we're about to... Really get into it. (laughs) Spoiler, which is that uh, Logan Roy, Brian Cox's character, is dead, and they killed him in a way. (laughs) I'm talking about this like it's Game of Thrones. He dies of a heart attack in the show, and like it's it's the thing that's so impactful about it is the show starts with a health scare with Logan Roy, so we're braced from like the first minute of the first episode of the first season that this man is not in good health. Yeah. And I mean, the whole purpose is, Oh shit. Now we realize gonna we succeed have to figure him. out who's yeah. going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the show. Yeah. And yet the way they do it in the show, it's a fucking shock because they don't show it happening. The, uh, the kids just get a call at Connor's wedding, their brother's wedding. And, uh, he, do you think he was already dead by the time they get the call? I think he was. Me I too. think that they, I think he was already dead. Yeah, I don't think he heard anything they said to him, which makes it extra tragic. Um, and I I don't know. I thought that was one of the best episodes of TV ever. I was just completely transfixed. One of like my metrics of how into a show I am is, again, because I'm addicted to my phone, if I look at my phone, it's sort of like, uh-oh, like, no offense to Yellow Jackets. I've been looking at my phone a lot lately, if you know what I'm saying. Um, not <laughs> but to- it's it's true. <laughs> Succession, I, as soon as I, I, I am down, I'm 
turning on HBO at exactly 8 p.m. I don't even know where my phone is. You know what I mean? Like I'm that (laughs) I'm that into it. And that episode, I was just I downloaded it when I was in Australia to watch it because it already got spoiled for me because of the time difference. And I was like, fuck it. I'm not waiting to watch it. Downloaded it, watched it, and was just completely transfixed the whole time. That is everybody's Emmy reel right there. Um, Really don't know why they put Kieran Culkin in Best Actor, but whatever. That was a choice. (laughs) Did you see that? (laughs) I did. Although I'm, you know, I would... I would support it. I think he's been doing pretty incredible work. And well, the calculation is that Brian Cox is going to go supporting. So they wanted to give Kieran a a better chance to win, but that's like, that's a big boy category. I think, I think he has a chance, but I was like, Oh, he would have, if they had switched those two categories, he would have taken best supporting. No problem. Yeah. But I also think since they know that they're ending the show, there's a, an element of like showing him respect too. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like by point, saying yeah. we really love that you've been an incredibly important part of this, like putting them up for lead when there's a, if there's a even remotely plausible <laughs> reason to like way to do it, uh, I think is just a way to say, we really loved working with you. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and now you can say, you know, best actor nominated Emmy. Um, but I, I just want to give it up to Succession that they're so good at needle drops. And to me, one of the best needle drops of all time was Kendall Roy coming in after the takeover, after his father's death to like lead his father's empire. They have finally succeeded him and they had the blueprint playing and it, like to see Kendall Roy jamming to Jay-Z when he is such a pathetic train wreck who thinks he's like this suave motherfucker who's going to come in and steer this ship. And like, he has no idea that he's such a joke or, you know, I shouldn't say that. I think he knows he's a joke, but he's trying to carry himself like he's a boss. Yeah. And I think that one of the beauties of his character is that He's always going to be the white boy who listens to rap, rap. music to psych yep. himself up. Yep, yep, yep. And <laughs> absolutely, which is such a specific thing. Like the watching them expose, like watching all of the characters be exposed as exactly who they've been for the whole show, and being completely incapable to break out of that. It's just you're watching how broken they are, and how broken they were and became thanks to their father's treatment, and that you know, it's heartbreaking, but it's also like really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. And that's, that's the whole magic trick of the show, right? Like you have an episode where he dies and each of these characters has an absolutely tragic moment on the phone with his corpse because they're not talking to their father. They're talking to a dead body. Right. So it's like everything they've ever wanted to say to this man and he's gone. So they all revert to this childlike state where like to the point where Shiv's just saying daddy on the phone which is like heartbreaking right wow sorry uh you probably think I'm gonna go back and edit out these marks and I'm not (laughs) because I don't have time guys I don't have time I gotta run out right after this um so you're just gonna get unfiltered Rosie um so apologies to the (laughs) listeners so sorry guys so you get like 
Oh, and and the same thing with uh, Roman and Kendall. Like, they both have these awful moments on the phone with him where, you know, Roman's basically just saying, like, you're a monster. You're an absolute monster. And, like, he needed to say this to him when he was alive and he never did. Yeah. Um, and then next episode, so funny, where it's just like, that's that's the magic trick of the show. Like, these are bad people, right? I'm begging Twitter to remember they're bad people because every time I log on after an episode, there's a bunch of 14-year-olds who are like, Kendall, yes, my king, taking over the empire. And it's like, first of all, if you think there's going to be a happy ending for Kendall Roy, you're not watching the show as you yeah. do, right? But also- Or it's like, Shiv, girl boss. Girl boss. And like, yeah, oh, no. And then I see those same critics be like, I'm not actually girl bossing her. And it's like, you are. You absolutely are. <laughs> and girling shiver i see you every week being like my queen um they're all bad people right they should all fail spectacularly um and they will because they're inept right um but we also have to like them enough where we want to keep watching and it has to be funny enough to be engaging and it does all of that at the same time like jesse armstrong is a miracle of a writer <laughs> yeah I mean, it's once again, it's going back to the ludicrously capacious bag. Like these people, these, th that writer's room puts in the work. Like they do. I know those people, I know that they're probably making, you know, getting bank for this, but they it's, should. Total, <laughs> it's total proof that if you give talented writers resources and the chance to really mess around with each other, they'll come, they can come up with gold. Like, Do you want to hear some writer strike tea that I just heard? Yes, please. Before we started uh, recording. So first of all, <clears throat> the strike. Oh, right, guys. There's going to be a big writer strike and it's going to start on the contract and uh, May 1st. Bleh, expires on May 1st. Right. So they're going to vote in all likelihood. They'll the strike's happening um, to the point where like some writers are already making signs <laughs> like they're getting ready. Um, I have heard that the one holdout who didn't want to give the writers what they wanted was Netflix. Like I, oh my God, that does not surprise me in the slightest. Like HBO, so HBO much. was on board, but Netflix was the holdout. So uh, take it with a grain of salt, but it's from, I heard it from a journalist who's been covering this stuff. Oh God, fucking Netflix. Yeah. And I can say that because I used to have to, I used to get paid by Netflix. You can say that as a former employee. Um, oh, those pieces of shit. Oh God. I mean, I and also like solidarity, strength, respect, like power to everybody who's going to be striking on Monday. It's going to be really scary. I saw something from um, an actor, Ever Carradine, who's on... She was on The Handmaid's Tale mm -hmm. saying that talking about how scared she is for the future of people being working class actors, because oh, I, I guess this. there's this TV show that has decided like every they're taken rid of the entire cat. Like there's no regular cast members like everybody's going to recurring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, it's wild. Yeah. And that means you can be on like 10 episodes of a major show like Law and Order and they they're not paying you like that status, which is insane. That's that used to be how actors survived, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, the something that she mentioned is that's how they get their health insurance. Yep. Like it's one of the things that we were so mad about when Kike Kwan said uh, that he needed one other job in 2022 to keep his health insurance and he couldn't get a single job. So he lost his health insurance. And 
when working a certain number of hours is the requirement to, to keep your benefits with the union, the these changes are are going to completely gut the entire industry. Yeah, and, and I I don't think I need to remind anyone of this, but just in case there are writers listening to this, um, sometimes a showrunner or an executive will try to convince writers that punching up a script or submitting joke ideas isn't um, being a scab during a strike. And it absolutely is. Anytime you're writing and getting paid by a studio that is involved in a strike or something that that's you're a scab. So don't do that. (laughs) But like sometimes writers are lied to like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, it's been really useful. I'm glad that people are using Twitter and other, you know, and social media in general to get out the details on this because there are going to be people who are scared and don't realize. And there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of desperation moves because there are some films and TV shows that are going to be hurt by the strike, which is the whole point of striking because it's how writers have leverage and they're going to be rushing to finish projects. And that's when they're going to start to reach out to writers. Some of whom, listen, all writers are desperate. (laughs) So they're going to reach out to desperate people and be like, no, 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 no. You're not a scab. If you do this, this is different. This is different. It's not different. It's not different if you're getting paid to write. Uh, Yeah. Once again, solidarity forever. We love unions. Get your, you know, get out on the picket line and uh, bring Scabby. We Always love you. bring Scabby. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to recommend? I have other stuff, but I feel like we're at the end of the episode. So was there any like housekeeping stuff or other stuff that people should know about? Keep an eye out uh, for? Not that I can think of. I have tried to stay... I've I've been really careful to not avoid news, but to <laughs> limit the way that I consume news these days because it's been really, really bad for my mental health. Yes. So, uh, you know, my guess, my my bit of housekeeping is things are really bad. Do what you need to do to keep yourselves sane and, you know, keep yourself hopeful. It's important to still have that and just do something nice for someone in your community. I think that's really the only thing I would have to say. Let's just all do something nice this week. That's good advice. I Something that I don't think I emphasized at all or enough was not having my phone for 10 days was transformative and magical. And as a, a woman who lives in New York, I've gone into the habit of listening to podcasts and music everywhere I go. Because it's not a fun experience to be yelled at by men. And it's a way to sort of filter out commotion so I can operate, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But not listening to music or podcasts for 10 days, just walking around, just hearing natural noises and people chatting around me and being very present and not on my phone, I could feel my brain healing and I'm not kidding. (laughs) Yeah. And it was 10 days. It was 10 days. And I'm like, listen, I know it's on me and it's something I'm going to work on to be on my phone less and to be present. But it was so nice to know that things can change in 10 days. So the damage is profound to our brains, but we can undo it. That's right. Is what I'm saying. So everybody just be online less. (laughs) 
<laughs> and get off Twitter. You know, put your phone on airplane mode more. Look around the world. Take it in. You only get to do it once, baby. So don't waste your time on fucking fools. And thank you so much for wasting your time listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more thing. Yeah. Let's talk about the... So uh, because there's still all the strikes in France around pension stuff. Yep. So there have uh, people have been threatening to cut the power to the Cannes Film Festival. Oh That's my, my favorite news story that I saw recently. <laughs> Listen, it can't be said enough. Do not fuck with French unions. They're not fucking around. They're going to cut the power to your little film festival, Can What are you going to do then? <sighs> What's premiering there that's, that we're supposed to be all hyped about? Is Killers of the Flower Moon Listen, playing? Do you want to yeah. know what I'm the most hyped about? The fact that they're fucking premiering the icon. Yes, I know you are so ready. I for can't that. wait. This thing is going to be a fucking train wreck. I'm so excited. I'm obviously going to watch it because I got to know what's going on. Every single middle-aged, horny, white male critic has been like, Lily Rose Depp is amazing in it. And I'm like, I know why you think she's amazing in it. Uh, no shade to Lily. I actually like Lily, but as an actor. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't know. It looks real iffy and i'm so excited that like elderly french critics are going to be the first ones <laughs> to see it. oh i like, just on i'm the really excited. smoking is smoking a galois it is the trash <laughs> or or will they love it because she's french and like it's very sexually provocative like i don't know maybe they'll fucking love it that's a good point. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see. But we'll see. you're right. This is exciting. And if uh, it would be sort of karmic justice if they cut the power right during Ugh. the idol. It would make <laughs> Sam, me so happy. Um, Sam Levinson would be so mad. <laughs> oh, he'd be so sad. His little show didn't get seen. Can we stop giving him shows? Can we... I'm here for it. You know that I despise that man. Ooh, he's not good, guys. And certainly don't let him write anything because he doesn't know how to write characters. And on that note, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Together, we can all stop Sam Levinson. Please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark and Instagram, I guess. Do you want followers on Instagram, Meredith? I don't know. I'll take followers on Instagram. I enjoy it. Great. Uh, I'm the same deal. It's just my name, Allison Kilkenny on Twitter. And Instagram, you can follow the show, Light Trees and Pod, hashtag Light Trees and Pod, if you want to get in touch with us. And yeah, send those recommendations um, or comments or questions or life updates if you're particularly proud of something or if you want to let people know about something. You know, like Meredith always has the local news of Wisconsin, but like if there's something big happening in your state, let us know and yeah. we'll talk about it on the show. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>